0: and welcome to this week's episode of Social Work Radio with me, your host, Vince Piggott. Once again and forever, we are joined by our co-host, Tilly Baden. Tilly, my friend, how the devil are you? How have things been since you were last aboard the good ship SWR?
1: Hello, everyone. Um, Yeah, things are good. Thank you. I, um, I had a really interesting meeting recently with our first veterinary social worker in the UK. So a few weeks ago, I posted an article on Social Work News about veterinary social work what it is and why we should have it in the UK and this lady called Rebecca she reached out to me on social media and said hello I am the first veterinary social worker the one and only in this in the UK she's working um she's working at the University of Sussex at the moment and she's trying to branch out and bring this profession over to England so um I just had a chat with her and catch up and a bit of, did a bit of networking it was really exciting I mean I'm all for this uh, as I said in my article I think pets and animals are so intertwined with human lives um, no matter what area of social work you work in you come across mm-hmm. people and animals um and there's just so many issues that can come along with that whether it's um financial issues, whether they can afford things, emotional issues, if they've got to make difficult decisions. Um, People often prioritise their pets over other areas of their lives, myself included. Um, So (laughs) often people... Like from our homeless community, we'll turn down accommodation if they've got animals. We've got people in my line of work often that that need to go into care homes or hospitals, but yeah. we refuse to go because they they don't want to leave a pet behind. We get a lot of animal domestic violence as well, where where pets can be used as a, like a bit of a weapon between partners. I, um,
0: yes, do you know what I? That's interesting you say that because. I've I've heard of pets being almost used as bargaining chips by like abusive partners and things, saying, Oh, well, you know, if you're not with me, I'll hurt the dog.
1: Yep. All sorts of things. And what Rebecca was saying is that um the vets that in their training, they they go through a long long i think it's like 7 years in university mm. but none of their training is focused on how to deal with the people relationships that they have to build they don't get any training on how to deal with someone that's upset or angry or how to make support someone to make a difficult decision they don't get any supervision or any of those emotional intelligence emotional resilience skills wow um, so that's a massive gap and and vets are have the highest suicide rates out of all of our professions. So it's a really big gap um, that social work can fill because that's that's our bread and butter. We, we mm. work with people. We can support people through these problems, whether it's directly with clients or whether it's with the vets themselves. So I think there's huge scope to grow this this um, this field of social work. So I'm really excited to, to see what she does, and um, mm. hopefully she's going to do an interview with Social Work News soon. So yeah. watch this space, listeners. That's How exciting. Why, How I exciting! I know. I am really excited about this. I was I get really passionate because you know talented. me, bit, I I love my animals. So um,
0: yeah, it's just. Yeah she just reached reached out to you after seeing your article on it
1: she did yeah yeah so um it's amazing um and also the the veterinary um social work association that's based over in the united states reached out as well and said about this lady rebecca so yeah it's great to see that my article was was seen so broadly um and great to to network from it i think it's a really exciting time
0: excellent so welcome watch this space I suppose listeners and uh, let's check out how we uh, how we end up in the old veterinary social work in the UK campaign
1: exactly yeah so anyway Vince how have you been
0: well Tilly I've got some exciting news I have uh, started writing my second book about social work
1: <gasps> amazing what's the premise
0: I'm scared to tell people in case the idea is pinched <laughs> I am. I am. But basically, basically I am. Um, there, there are five books, well, four books that I really want to write about social work. Okay. I had this idea that, you know, the there Earth Five, but I've written one already. So there were four more books that I really want to write about social work. And uh, I always said to myself, you know, well, I'd, I'd write one. And try, I thought I'd leave three years between books. And my last book was published in November. 2017 so the plan was to write one in 2020 but uh, as you may recall tilly there were a few other things in the world happening in 2020 <laughs> Perhaps, what you uh, mean
1: to say that you didn't have time off during uh, lockdown to uh, write your book oh yeah. my gosh
0: <laughs> if only i'd been fellowed like many of my friends were tilly if only i had had the i'm not going to say the pleasure If I I had had the opportunity of furlough, so yeah, I started started writing it then. I started writing. I was a little bit late in terms of writing it, so I started writing it then, and I got got maybe about you know fifteen thousand words into it, and it was going well. Um, and then I just stopped, like other things came up and I stopped, I stopped writing it. But in terms of my, my current work pattern means that, you know, I, I've got a bit more time off. I've kind of got like I'm trying to, you remember, last, you remember on last week's podcast, Tilly, on last week's podcast, you and I were talking about how we we're workaholics. Do you remember that? Obviously. I mean, you've been too busy obviously working obviously that you've forgotten. That. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Constantly working, constantly.
0: Yeah. So last week's podcast, you we were talking about that and you know, I it gave me pause to thought. It gave me pause for thought, and I thought I do need to I do need to give myself that protected time in order to have some downtime, and I'll use that even if I will use it productively. I'll use it productively on something that isn't work. So um, things like you know business plans, things like maybe going to the gym, going for a walk, getting a massage, going in a, a flotation tank. I went in the flotation what? tank. Oh, oh, well, here's a story for you. I'll come back to that one. I'll finish the book story and I'll okay, tell you about finish flotation the flotation tank. I need
1: to. Know, I need to know more about. Oh that, well, right. yeah,
0: yeah. So, um, so yeah, with the book, I thought, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm gonna, I'm gonna use that downtime. I'm gonna give myself a day or a day and a half of week, and I'll use it. And you know, I'll go to the library. I'll do some reading. Um, I will get back into writing. So, yeah, I started that last week and uh, it was difficult because, you know, I left this book two and a half years ago. So, a lot of the things are a little bit outdated and need refreshing, but yeah, I'm back into it. So, you know, watch this space. I'm sure, I am sure sure I will definitely be using this platform to plug the book as and when it is ready for release. Don't worry about that, listeners. You will be getting this book rammed down your throats when it's ready. On a serious note, but I think it has got the potential to to be really important for our profession.
1: Oh, I'm so excited. Um, so, can't yeah. wait to read it.
0: I will show you off air and you can sign a non-disclosure agreement and I will show it to you. <laughs> um, or maybe, you know, when, you know, when you sometimes go to other local authorities and you view files and you see they put you in a little room and they give you a log and you can view the files, but you can't take them off site. I can maybe <laughs> do that to you. But you can view this, you can have an hour in a darkened room and you can read it. Um, As people may recall, I dropped a a hint a couple of episodes back that, you know, I'd gone for a bit of a a bit of a sad time and, uh, you know, nothing else to say on that for the time being. And uh, yeah, a a good a good friend of mine says, uh, you know, I'm going to I'm going to give you an experience the likes of which you've never had before.
1: Right. Okay. Um, That could (laughs) be taken in many different ways. (laughs)
0: That's what I thought. I was like, yes, please. And I was like, will it be pleasurable? Yes. Uh, Will it involve lights on or lights off? Lights off. Uh, Will I be alone? Will somebody be with me? Alone. So I thought, oh, it's a pleasurable experience. The lights will be off and I will be alone. I thought, oh, what's all this? So, um, yeah, I was... uh, I was taken to a flotation tank. Are you aware of these, Tilly? I do. I need to describe. No,
1: you need to explain them. I have no idea what you're on about.
0: Right. So basically, it is a uh, salinated water, so it's very, very salty water to the point where you float in it. And um, you were in, you were in, in, in an enclosed, almost like bubble, but it's like plastic. Uh, best way. How can I describe it? Oh, you, you. It's a bit like, um, a bit like a Kinder egg. You know, kinder eggs, like a little plastic (laughs) sort of figure. So it's like a bath, but it's got a plastic dome, like a shell over the top. And you lie in this bath and it's very, very warm. I was speaking to the guy that was running it. Very, very warm. Um, It's about body temperature, so 37, 38 degrees. And then you lie in this water and you float and the shell goes down on you and you're just in pitch black for an hour floating in warm water.
1: Um. This sounds like an I'm a celebrity trial. Is this like? A, were you like in a coffin? So
0: it it's like it's like, like a yeah. Essentially, it's like a large coffin. It's like a large coffin filled with warm water that you float in. But it was it was a magical experience because I I meditate every morning. Um. It was like meditation on steroids. You know. At one point, and believe me, listeners, I certainly wasn't taking drugs. But at one point, I could not feel the difference between the water below me and the air above and it just felt like I was floating.
1: Wow. And because it's
0: pitch black, your mind just goes in a different dimension entirely. It was I mean I'm
1: quite intrigued. I think I would give it a go, but didn't you didn't you become all pruney? Like you know when you've been in the bath too long and you get all
0: no I didn't I didn't. The, the dilemma I had was do I go shorts or fully naked. Because the guy that was running it was well you can go short so you can go fully naked so that was kind of the that was the biggest <laughs> dilemma that I had which do you think I went for Tilly
1: I don't know I think <laughs> I do
0: <laughs> well, well we'll 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 just leave that one to the we'll leave that one so you can just imagine me Tilly you can imagine me the other week lying in a little a little a little coffin like shell in warm water naked or partially closed for an hour. Just floated there like I was back in the womb.
1: <laughs> Living the dream. I was. Oh, it was good,
0: it. <laughs> honestly. And he, like the guy, it was really, really good. And he took my blood pressure before and after. And you know, I, when I came out, he like soothed me through it. He gave me a little glass of water and he sort of, yeah, you okay? Yes, yeah, really good. It was like, it was a very, a very, very chill vibe. And I think this that could be that could be So that's what I'm going to do on my days off now. I'm going to dedicate it to, you know, I'm going to call it active leisure.
1: Active leisure. I like um, it. I really want to Google one and, and see if there's any near me. Because I'll well, send I'm you a picture next
0: time I'm there. I'll send you a picture next time I'm there.
1: Yeah.
0: Listen, I mean, you won't know, be a rude picture. You know I mean? <laughs> <laughs> well, Tilly, here's the answer to the question that I posed the other week. <laughs> It won't oh be. dear! No, and that, would, that would be a, essentially, you know, that would that could be a, you know, that is it. That you know, sending a unwarranted naked pictures of yourself is, is definitely illegal, isn't it? Even more so for a social worker. Doubly wrong. I'd be arrested and lose my job.
1: Okay, let let's move on from the naked side of it, and um, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, listeners, uh, talking about asking me anything other than that question, um, on this week's show, we thought we'd do something a little bit different, because um, we forgot to mention it on last week's show, but we, that was episode 25. We passed our a quarter century, Tilly, 25 episodes in. We should have done it last week, but in order to celebrate our 25th show on what is now our 26th show, uh, we thought we'd throw open uh, the offer to our listeners, so... A couple of weeks back, I uh, posted um, a request for Ask Me Anything questions on our social media channels. We got a fair few questions, some of which were inappropriate, some of which were quite long and really deserved a whole episode in and of themselves. But I've got eight questions that our listeners have set forth for us, Tilly. Are you ready to uh, tackle these, my friend?
1: I'm looking forward to this show. Come on, then. let's Let's start.
0: Right, right, let's do this. Um, let's start with this one. I was going to end with this one, but I thought we'd, you know, we'd grasp the nettle uh, by the leaves and just crack on with it right off. Um, Curtis Bichard says, I just want to know one thing. Why? Now, I imagine he's asking, why are you a social worker? Because if he's asking an existential question and then, I'm sorry, Curtis, I can't really answer that. It's not the Backstreet Boys now. It's not, tell me Why? Um, but Tilly let's assume that Curtis is asking why uh, why do we do this so there we go Tilly question number one from Curtis Bichard why do you do this job
1: I mean do you want the the serious answer or the why why silly answer um give me serious. both give me let's, <laughs> let's, try both.
0: Let's, let's, let's go for both my friend
1: okay so serious answer um I kind of fell into social work um it just fitted with my values that old cliche about wanting to help people but yeah and also the whole wounded healer thing I think fits really well with with my core beliefs so that's kind of why I started but why do I continue to be a social worker I don't know am I a bit of a a, (laughs) (laughs) A joke am I a bit of a masochist for wanting to stay in social work sometimes um are we masochists do do you think we are I don't know well I wouldn't
0: say we're masochists but I think we we self-sacrifice
1: yeah yeah so um because I like doing that and I enjoy what I do I, I genuinely love being a social worker um I love working with people, hearing their stories and changing the world one step at a time, just doing what we can, Um, Mm. working it through that broken system. I find quite rewarding and I know some people find that really hard and that's the difficult part of the job, but I kind of like the challenge, um, trying to do our bit of good in the world where there's so much wrong with the world. So, So that's in a nutshell why.
0: So why do I do it? Um, similar to Tilly. Similar to Tilly, really, Curtis. I uh, wouldn't necessarily say I fell into social work because I came into social work in my mid-twenties, uh, some 15 years ago now when I first decided I wanted to be a social worker. I was looking for a career. You know, I uh, tried university first time around, but had various different jobs. I had a few sort of exciting projects that had happened to me. And it got to a point in my life where I felt a bit more mature and well, what can I lend myself to? So I considered various different professions as, as many people in my position. My position certainly wasn't unique in terms of reaching mid-20s and thinking about, you know, this future in a serious sense when you know the follies of teenage and early adulthood kind of start to wave, and you think a bit more maturely as your brain develops and you you have different priorities in life other than just enjoying yourself and living for tomorrow. And uh, social work was the one for me. I thought that it would suit my talents. I thought that it would be something I would enjoy. And I thought, what better way to spend your working life than helping other people? And lo and behold, here I am all those years later. Why do I continue to do it? I I love my job, Curtis, I genuinely do. I wouldn't be doing this podcast I wouldn't be spending so much time writing about social work and doing social work if I did not love my job it has never been a job for me it has always been a vocation and social work has given me so very much It has given me people like Tilly you know one of my best friends it's given me you know contact with all the people like you Curtis you know from all over the world people contact me and speak to me and I connected with hundreds of thousands of people you know I've got hundreds of thousands of people follow the Facebook pages and social media accounts and groups that I've set up and it never fails to amaze me that it is social work that gave me those opportunities there is nothing else I would rather spend my life doing
1: oh that makes me feel very warm and fuzzy inside less of the masochism and more of the actually it's a really great job
0: It is a good job. Right, next question. This one comes from Sir Frederick Salmonius. I can't imagine this is a real name, so we'll just call it Sir Frederick. Sir Frederick says, how do you feel when psychotherapists ask for a referral for clients but say things like, must be a person of colour, or must be LGBTQ friendly, or must be queer? Does that not come off as potentially biased and unethical? Should we not all as clinicians be trained to be unbiased with an objective desire to help all, regardless of personal beliefs? So there we go, Teddy. Basically, Sir Frederick is asking, is it right that when referrals come in and requests come in that... We as social workers or clinicians or counsellors, whatever happy way we wear, and depending on what part of the world we live in and what our expertise are, is it right that there should be requests make that we share certain characteristics that our clients we are supporting may find desirable for their needs and position they find themselves in?
1: No, I think in general, um, you shouldn't have to be the same characteristic as someone to be able to empathise with them and be able to work with them and build a therapeutic relationship with them. I must admit, it doesn't overly come up in terms of, of my job. Very occasionally, I sort of touch on um, some of the older people that I work with, and people experiencing dementia, we, we often get quite racist comments made um, about mm. some of our staff who are not white British um, and that can be really tricky to work with when you're working with someone that has come from a different generation and actually isn't retaining that that's not okay yes. to say and we also get um, certain people want requesting male carers or female carers um, for for personal intimate personal care which I I kind of I, I do have some empathy with um but ultimately we're all employed because we have a certain skill set and a certain value base and it shouldn't matter what characteristic you are we're all able to do the job
0: I'm going to differ from you on this one, tell you. And that's the whole point of asking me anything, because we will differ. I think there are, there are situations where I think it is fair that our clients request um, certain people. Now, here in the UK, that's been denied before. A, uh, a An Orthodox Jewish man requested a male social worker from a local authority, and he was denied. Um, I may be going against the grain here, and I may be controversial, but... Um, I don't think that was an unrealistic request. Now, it may be that the argument against that was perhaps those views potentially have been sexist, misogynistic. I'm not sure. I didn't read into it that much. But let's say, for example, I was accessing counselling myself today. And if I was paid for counselling as a private individual or if I was paying for a tutor as a private individual, if I was paying my money to get a certain thing, if I wanted a massage, anything that I wanted, if I wanted to go to a a certain flotation tank provider, by virtue of being a paying customer, I can pick and choose who I work with. Was that fair to say?
1: Yeah, of course you can.
0: You know, there may be certain people that I feel more comfortable with. Now, let's use the counsel analogy. If I had been the victim of oppression, I had been the victim of racism. I had been the victim of sexual abuse or assault or domestic violence from a certain person who had certain characteristics. And I was going to have to engage with somebody who I felt I could trust and who wouldn't trigger me and who could give me the best possible chance of a positive outcome. Would it not be right of me to decide to choose somebody who I feel would be best suited to my needs and circumstances.
1: You would, you would. But equally, I think that people can surprise you and sometimes... I'd take, for example, domestic violence, for example. Um, say you were a woman that had experienced trauma and abuse from a man. I'm being very stereotypical here. I do apologize, but just just bear I tell you, no,
0: that's, that's, <laughs> let's be real here the statistics back it up Nine, well, the over ninety percent yeah. of abuse is perpetrated by men. so let's you know let's not be let's not try and be too politically correct that we start lying to people. It's a fact no, far more is, men abuse women than women abuse men.
1: Yeah, yeah, it is. And actually, if that person requested, they might feel more comfortable talking about that with a with a fellow female and, and they want a female social worker. But equally, they could be missing out on the opportunity to form a positive relationship with a male social worker who could help them work through some of those traumas and issues. I mean, that it, it's down to personal experiences, and everyone is different. But Ultimately, I, I think you can do the same job and the same outcome no matter who you are. You can't help the characteristics that you're born with. So um, I, I think people should be more open to experiencing things from a different way from a, from, and support from, from different people um, who they wouldn't necessarily go to through choice.
0: Fair point, Tilly. Fair point. I disagree, but it is a fair point. Um, next question. <laughs> this is an anonymous one, and I question whether it's anonymous because sadly the person has experienced this. Um, but yeah, they contacted me and asked to be remain anonymous, and they said, "Why do some managers and social workers bully their staff or colleagues?" Uh, Tilly, I'm going to send that to you first. Um, do, do I always
1: is- have to ask them, answer them first? Oh well, I'll go first. Okay, <laughs> go oh, on, you, like, you go hey. first. Let's, let's mix it up. <laughs> Let me be
0: accused of bullying you. Um, so no. <laughs> why do some managers and social workers bully their staff or colleagues? The first thing I would say is that um, it's human nature. It is human nature, regardless of what job people do, what training they've had, or you know how society thinks they should act that some people do heinous things to one another, including bullying behaviour. So I think that's uh, it's a given across all Swedes' of society that sadly um, some people will try and make themselves feel better by hurting other people, and the vast majority, is it because they have a, of the time, they do so because they have a very low self-esteem of themselves, they are fearful, they are jealous, and they project their hatred towards themselves towards others often most of buddies i've been dealing with have had really really difficult issues in their own personal life and they project them by focusing on other people, or sometimes it can be jealousy. They perceive people that they're bullying as having certain things they don't have. And rather than using their energy and time to strive to get those things themselves, sadly, they tend to use their energy and time to detract from the other person in an effort to make them feel better. Essentially, it's uh, it's easier for them to burn down a barn than build one. Why do I think this happens in social work? Um, I think for all the reasons I've just given, to be perfectly honest. I think you know, social workers are no different than any other people in society. I also think it can happen because pressure makes people do weird things. Pressure and stress can make people look for victims and look to pass the blame elsewhere. It can make people less kind. It can make people less compassionate and those things in turn can lead to bullying behavior. So those are my answers, Tilly. I'm going to send it over to you, my friend. Why do some managers and social workers bully their staff or colleagues?
1: Yeah, I, I agree. There's always a reason, um, that it's about it's more about them than about the people that they're bullying um they've obviously got issues in their own lives or there's something that they are not feeling very confident about and they're lashing out um but it's unacceptable it shouldn't happen and we need to challenge it when it does and um, hope that, that, that this person who's who's remaining anonymous if they are experiencing that they get the support that they need and they move on to a different job and a different team where it doesn't happen it's certainly not the norm you don't have to put up with that
0: good answer my friend and yeah that's a very good point you don't have to put up with that so if you are facing those issues in the workplace my friend um yeah stand up for yourself try and see if there's something you can do about it our next question comes from Jessica Arteza and Jessica says, what would you do differently in your social work career if you could go back and do it over again? So Tilly, if you had the chance to rewind your social work career, what would you do differently?
1: I can honestly say I don't think there's anything I would do differently. Um I'm really pleased that I did my first year in child protection because mm-hmm. um, it's just given me that broader experience. Even though I didn't want to stay working in children's services, I can say that I've done it. And when you and I, Vince, are talking, at least I I, I know where you're coming from because I've been there myself. Um, and I've just been really fortunate with all my jobs so far as a social worker. I've enjoyed elements of each one and each one has given me something new skills more knowledge that's helped me go on and I'm now in my dream job in working in a mental capacity act team I get to do what I love every day and I get to promote human rights and be advocates for people um, so that they can make their own decisions I'm, I'm literally doing what I've always wanted to do so um, no nothing that I would want to do differently do you know what, you. Totally, I would
0: uh, do you know what I wouldn't? I wouldn't because I'm a great believer in, you know, if you I'm a great believer in the butterfly effect that if you do one little thing differently, you wouldn't end up here. And I'm happy where I'm at in life right now. You know, I've got two lovely kids, I'm healthy, I'm happy, I'm at a position in my social work career when I've, you know, made friends with people like you, and I'm I've known loads of different people, we're sat here. And we've got listeners contacting us and I'm happy in life right now. So how can I have done anything wrong if I've made it to where I am today? Our next question comes from Peter. Peter says, how do you handle clients who use social media to attack and troll social workers? Um, Ladies choice, Tilly, would you like me to lead on this one or do you want to go first?
1: (laughs) I'll go first on this one. Right. Um, I think it depends if if they're actually one of your clients and they're doing that, then you need to set some boundaries with them and have that discussion with them and say this is not okay. Um, You need to make sure you blocked them and have that conversation. If they are just a random person um, who's decided to attack you on social media because you have said that you're a social worker, then just ignore them. the the more you feed into it you taught me this Vince you you gave me wise words at the beginning when I started to to do the podcast with you um and as painful as it can be um Mm. because I'm desperately wanting sometimes to just jump in and message them and get in a debate with them but no you taught me well um just ignore and block and move on
0: yeah you've got to you've got to do that um in terms of so I've had you know, in terms of my direct practice I've had I've had a few people put things on you know Facebook about me people have tried to sort of track me down and so on and um, I don't condone it but I do get it till I do get it when, when you when you're in a place of desperation it is very easy to look to apportion blame everywhere else but on yourself and I've been there in my life you know I mean not to that extent but there's you know there's been plenty of times in my life I probably still do it to this day when I blame other people for my problems, oh, it's because my mum my and dad didn't look after me as well. It's because I didn't have the childhood. Nobody pushed me. Nobody supported me. And I don't do it anywhere near as badly as I used to. It's little things like, like I'll, uh, I'll blame the close proximity of the kebab house to the fact that you know I've still got another... 20 pounds to lose before I'm at the weight I want. So I blame everyone. That's human life. You know, we do. We blame other people. If it wasn't for the kebab house man, I would be, uh, you know, 20 pounds lighter. I'd be at fighting weight again. That's just life. That's just life. But um, I realised a few years back, you know, maybe five, six years ago or something, in my mid thirties, I realised that nobody's coming to save you. You know, um, you might get help, but... Ultimately, you can only really save yourself, and that's what we learn in social work all the time. If people don't want to be helped, we can do everything in the world, Tilly, but we can't. We can't walk that path for them. So I realised that for myself. So at that point onwards, I really stopped blaming everyone else for my problems, and I started blaming myself. And and I I, I employed the stoic mantra, I'm one of many stoic mantras I employed in life, but this one in particular is that you should be. Hard on others, hard on yourself, but easy on others. So essentially you should be forgiven of others for their mistakes, but you should be hard on yourself and push yourself because ultimately it's pointless being hard on other people because it serves nothing. So that's what I do in those positions. And I guess that's the same that I would apply to, you know, I didn't really see this as it is the sort of wider question of people trolling social workers that never met, but yeah, I can go that way as well. Um i employ basically exactly the same technique it used to be when people would have a go at me and stuff on social media i'd reach out to people i'd try and speak to them sometimes i'd sometimes try and visit them in person and so on and try to address things and I, I would see it as my fault i genuinely would i'd be like well how can people see me in such a negative light you know i'm not a bad person i've never been in trouble with the police i'm never abusive i never you know, nobody in my personal life would ever say anything negative about me at all i'm good at my job I always get good feedback I've got good friends and family that love me so why can certain people on social media view me so very differently to everybody else and I used to question that at first I used to be like well these people just mustn't know these people mustn't know they just mustn't know me and if I can speak to them and say I'm just a decent guy I'm just you know try my best like everybody else you've maybe, I don't know why you've got the wrong impression of me but then I realized it wasn't about me you, it was about them
1: yeah Exactly. And when you realize
0: that you become forgiven.
1: Yeah. And you've probably had out of all of the social workers, have had the most amount of trolls that you've had to deal with being a public person in, in social work and having those public platforms you've had to deal with so much. Um I
0: I have had I have had the worst attacks on me of anybody in our profession has ever had by far. The things people have done to me in years gone by, um, tracked down my wife and children, tracked down my places of work, tracked down where I've lived, sent me letters, um, made many false and malicious allegations to Social Work England and prior to that HCPC, none of which were ever taken beyond the triage stage. They were all just dismissed out of hand. I've had people call the police on me on two occasions, um, made up false allegations about me. Um, I've had anonymous, hateful blogs about me. I have had people write false reviews, a very bizarre situation, actually. A a quite a famous social work academic um, left a false review, a false one-star review on Amazon for my book that was published. And I thought this is a bit unusual. So I had a look and I had a look and I could see her name and she'd used a fake name. But on old reviews, she'd put her real name at the bottom. So I challenged this academic, and she lied and said that it was her 12-year-old daughter, that her 12-year-old daughter had thought it would impress her mother if she wrote a negative review about a book about a man that her mother didn't like. So I've dealt with some very strange people and some very strange things, (laughs) Tilly. I have. uh, I've had people who I used to be very, very close with her. Uh, 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 someone I would consider a good friend, um, took issue with the fact that I tried to offer her some advice about something. So she um took to YouTube and uh made up a, an offensive poem about me. And like and she's, she's I think it's still out there. <laughs> she's on YouTube writing a poem and talking to the camera, saying a poem, basically telling me off for being such a horrible person. Um, it, it still goes on. It still goes on to this day. Not, not not as bad as it was, but it's whenever I do anything noteworthy, it kicks off again. So when we launched a podcast, it kicked off again. Um, when I write a, a well-received article that goes kind of viral, it kicks off. A couple of weeks back when I was on Sky News, it kicked off again. And that's it's when you see those patterns. So when this initially happened to me, Tilly, and it's not a lot of people, it's maybe 15, 20 people. It's not a lot of people at all. In terms of the millions of people that I'm lucky enough to reach, it's a Drop in the ocean, it really is. But because of the vitriolic nature and because of the targeted nature, it sticks out because it's been very, very scary at times, to be honest. Not for years, you know, it was when it first kicked off. Like I say, when people were sending me anonymous messages saying, you know, I've been looking at pictures of your wife and children on the internet. Maybe they want to, maybe they should consider locking their Facebook accounts. This is from a fellow social worker. I'm like, wow, this is scary. If you're like this with me, what on earth are you doing with the people you support? Um, So, yeah. when it first started out in terms of dealing with trolls and dealing with attacks on me, I didn't know enough about these people. I thought, God, I I, honestly, it got to me because I thought, what am I doing wrong? What's wrong here? You know, you start questioning yourself, but then you see the patterns, you see the patterns and you see, ah, this already comes at certain times. Every time I do something that other people deem a success, this happens. Every time that, and I would sometimes look at people's Twitter accounts and look at Facebook accounts. A lot of the time, a couple of days before or after, I'd have these kind of vitriolic attacks on me. You would see that these people have gone through a like health crisis. A lot of people have been really, really you know, attacking me quite, quite nastily. Um, I've had physical issues. I've had mental health issues and so on. And that's why I'm easy on them but hard on me, Tilly, because I'm easy on these people. And you know, I feel sorry, to be perfectly honest, because I think of how difficult my life would have to be if I had the time to dedicate so much of it to writing nasty blogs about people, to attacking people, to researching people's personal life, someone that I'd never even met in person, someone that, you know, I couldn't claim had done anything particularly wrong other than potentially I've disagreed with some of their views. If my life got to a point where I was of that mindset and I had the time, and I was dedicating hours and hours of my time to writing negative blogs, to researching people. It never goes anywhere. Like I say, these false referrals to the police and social work England and my employer—nothing's ever been done because there's nothing to either do about it. I put myself in that. But this is what I've learned. Like over time, I've learned that if I put myself in that position, why my friends and family would be worried for me. Like I'd have a friend that would come up to me and say, "Vince, what, what are you doing?" Are you Like, Do you want to go for a drink? Can we have a chat about this? You know, I'd have a family member that would say, you know, you know, you're getting wound up here about people you've never met, people you've never spoken to. I don't think it's healthy what this is doing to you. I'd have people in my life that would intervene. I would like to think that it would reach a point where I would realise that this is very, very toxic behaviour and this is very damaging. I'd like to think that I'd have far better things to be doing with my life. So that's how I've learned to deal with it, Tilly. A combination of, you know, um, being forgiven, being understanding, and being hard on myself but easy on others. Because the alternative, Tilly, you know, people end up committing suicide because of things like this. I'm no, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating there. People end up killing themselves because of the kind of online cyberbullying that I've faced for eight years now. So you have to be strong and you have to forgive these people because the alternative is that you can end up in a very, very bad place indeed.
1: Very wise words. And I'm just, I'm so sorry that you've had to go through that. I mean, I've gone through a a tiny drop in the ocean compared to what you've gone through. um, But the reason you've gone
0: through it, Tilly, the reason you've gone through it is because of association with me, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is. But it's it's a sad world when social workers are attacking other social workers and yeah. and let's be clear most of these complaints and these allegations are not coming from people who have had a negative experience with social workers they're coming yes. from fellow professionals yes. which is just disgusting absolutely despicable and any of them that engage in this sort of behavior I have absolutely no time for
0: No and and that was the then that's the difference I and that's probably why we have slightly different. Because I, 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 you know, I do have time for these people, not publicly. You know, I won't, I won't sit and I won't slander people and engage with back and forth over Twitter because I think it's undignified. You know, when I see people having Twitter spats and commenting on other people's Facebook posts and what arguments, I just, I think it's base behavior. I think it's undignified. I think it's uncivil, and I would, never, I would never engage. You know. I'm, I consider myself to be above that, to be perfectly blunt. Whether that makes me elitist, I'm not so sure. But I just—I would consider everybody to be above that, to be perfectly honest. I think it's uncivil for anybody. But I'm always welcome to sit down and have a chat with anybody because that's how you move on in life. That's how you develop things. But sometimes some people just, um, yeah, they are going through very, very difficult things in their life and they must be terribly unhappy because how could anybody spewing vitriol and hate at people they've never met on the internet and trolling them simply by virtue of the fact that they are a social worker or perhaps are a fellow social worker and share different views it beggars belief it beggars belief if that was me i would want my mum to come in and say you've had a bit too much time on your phone today vince it's making you angry let's put you to bed with a nice book that's what I'd want to be perfectly honest.
1: Um, <laughs> Go and have a biscuit. Exactly. That's what I yep. mean. That's that's
0: that's what I would do. If that was my friends or family, I would do an intervention because it's not, you know, it must be it, it must be hard to live your life like that. It must. And if you know, if I can if I could help people, if I can help people who want to do that to people like me and you, if I can help relieve them of that pain that they feel, I'll do anything to do it because it must be hard to it really must. And that's, and and that's why, you know, it doesn't personally trouble me. The worry for me is how are these people doing and how's this impacting their friends and family and their quality of life? If they are spending so much of their time on the internet, having a go at other people, it's just what a way to live your life. It just, I don't know. It just makes me sad. It really does make me sad. Um, Talking about making you sad, our next question comes from Anonymous. Um, Does social work make you cynical or does being cynical make you want to be a social worker? So it's a bit like, Tilly, what came first, the chicken or the egg here, Tilly? What came first for you? Was it social work or was it cynicism?
1: Well, as I've been a social worker through all of my adult life, I find this hard to know if it was chicken or the egg because I've... I think I've always been quite cynical Um, but equally I think social work has made me more cynical but equally it has also made me see the good in people as well and it does give me hope and each day I go into work I find something to be hopeful and proud about so um, it can make you cynical if you're not careful, it can be very easy to get drawn into that negative cycle uh, where everything's terrible, we, we've we all got lack of resources, everyone's in poverty, austerities happened, we're all struggling with caseloads. It can be really easy to slip into that mindset and I'm not saying that that's not a valid or justifiable position to be in because of course it is, we all want better for, for the people that we're supporting, but equally... We've got to try and look beyond being cynical sometimes and just think, let's be real. Okay, things are going to be bad, but let's try and make the best of it as well.
0: I like that. I like that a lot. I don't know if social work has made me cynical. I don't know if it has. It's maybe lots of things, but most of the things have, have been better. I don't know if I was really cynical before I became a social worker. I don't know if cynic's the right word, actually. I don't know if it's made me a cynic. I think it's made me... One of the bad things it's done is it's made me more suspicious and it's made me more wary of people, because I didn't have a sheltered life till As you know, I had a difficult childhood and a you know difficult early adulthood. You know, I saw a lot of things that you know a child shouldn't have been exposed to, and I, you know I went through a lot of things that an adult should really not have gone through. But um, I I didn't realise just how common abuse and neglect were. And I particularly didn't realize just how prevalent domestic violence was. I mean, call me, call me naive, Tilly, but I thought domestic violence was kind of an old-fashioned thing, a sort of thing of the past. It sounds bizarre, saying about genuinely when I thought of domestic violence. When I was growing up and I thought of domestic violence, it was, oh well, that was something men used to do to women. The extent of domestic violence and domestic abuse and the extent of what, and again, it, you know sorry to say this, men, I am one too, but it is mostly men against women. The extent of abuse that women will tolerate from their partners and husbands and boyfriends and fiancés and yet tolerate and normalise and how often that is, that was the biggest initial eye-opener for me. And I remember feeling that after about a month into, about a month into my job when I was reading through, because my first social work job was in a multi-agency safeguarding hub, so we were, we were screening referrals into the team of those referrals concerned domestic abuse and police call-outs, Tilly. And I was like, wow, this is still going on in this day and age. It blew my mind. So that was the major wake-up call. And obviously, more and more as the years have gone by, the extent of what people can do to their children, the most horrific sexual abuse and physical abuse and neglect regarding your own children, how people will prioritise their drug abuse their alcohol abuse their gambling over their children how people will prioritize their new partners and sex lives over their children as somebody who does every single thing he can for his children and who believes that his children the most important thing in life and everything that i do i do for them It it is a big surprise, and it was a big surprise that everybody doesn't have that mindset. And I've got used to that by now, and that's what I mean by cynical, is I've got used to the fact that what I believed were universal, aspirational, innate human traits of goodness are not shared by many people in this world, or perhaps they are shared, but people do not have the capacity to prioritize them. I don't know if that's cynicism, I don't know if it's being jaded, I don't know if it's just made me sceptical, but that's what social work has done to me. It has robbed some of the mystery and naivety and magic from the world.
1: Yeah, it has me too. I, I mean, I had no idea the extent of the abuse that goes on. Um scary yeah it is scary but equally I think it's very easy to slip into that mindset of that happens all the time everywhere and actually it doesn't that's still not the norm and it's really important that we don't normalize those behaviors and those relationships because a lot of people are living life without the need of social work intervention and that's Thank goodness that they don't, because there's not enough of us to go round. But um, yeah, I think where it happens, it, it's terrible, and yeah. it. But it's not. It's still not the majority.
0: Right. Next question. What's a good side hustle for a social worker? Do you want to lead with this, Tilly, or do you want me to go <laughs> first?
1: Oh, you go first on that one.
0: Right, well, the first thing I'm going to say is it's. Uh, I think it's kind of sad that social workers maybe need a side hustle. It'd be good if we all had well-paid enough jobs that we didn't need a side hustle. Um, But, you know, that being said, what are good side hustles? I think, you know, well, well, uh, there's two ways to go on this. We can say what are relevant jobs that are linked to social work and what are other things you can do? So most people who are looking for, you know, a secondary income in social work will do what me and Teddy do and do independent social work, pick up some additional assessments. Some people can do practice educating on a part-time basis. People can do training or tutoring. You know, I used to uh, do tutoring as a social worker. I used to support students. People can work in emergency duty teams. So perhaps they may pick up shifts on evenings and weekends. So those are the kind of, you know, four or five main things you can do that still keep you within the realm of social work. In terms of things outside of social work, well, the world's your oyster. I've got friends who are social workers that do aesthetics, so they do Botox and lip fillers. I've got friends who are social workers that still do hairdressing, that sell, um, that sell items on Etsy, that run um, little beautician parlours. I've got social work friends who do kids' parties, who do swimming lessons. You can really do anything. It's about whether you can balance that with social work or not, and that's why most of the side hustles in social social work tend to be to be little self-employed businesses that you can do on an evening weekend they're kind of flexible but a lot of those businesses a lot of my friends who've done side hustles have actually ended up um doing so well in their secondary job that they've actually you know tempted to go into that or have gone into that on a full-time basis so Those are the main things I would say, Mary, Um, you know, look at what you can do within social work, independent social work, practice education, tutoring, out of hours teams. Now, if you want to go outside of social work but still maintain a social work job, I would advise thinking about things that you can do yourself that could be like a a crafts-based business or a personal service-based business that you've got a certain degree of flexibility with that you can fit around the demanding hours of a full-time social work position. What about you, Tilly? How would you advise Mary Price on earning uh, uh, an extra book or two?
1: I mean, well, everything that you've just said, but avoid only fans, which should go without saying. <laughs> 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 How could I have left this. that off
0: the list? How could I have left that off the list? <laughs> it was right. when you
1: said personal services, I was like, right, let's oh, just yeah, add God in no, a disclaimer no, no. here. Um, yeah. I mean, anything in the adult entertainment industry is a no-go for social yes. workers see previous podcasts that we've talked about this um i wonder if there are actually social workers that do it and just no one knows about it i suspect there are but um no oh, definitely I don't know. we be... only know
0: we only know about the ones that have gone mainstream wanting people to know so if we know about the ones that have wanted people to know how many people don't want people to know
1: exactly I know. I would say I'm intrigued but I'm really not. <laughs> I'm too innocent. I don't need to know about that. Um so yeah, um do what you're passionate about. I think that's what it's it's a good life mantra to to go by in whether it's your main job or a side hustle. If you're doing something that you love and that you're passionate about, then it's not work. Um mm-hmm. it just becomes an enjoyable part of life. I think there's something that I learned Probably a few years ago, um you can't be always living for the weekends if you're if you're doing a job where you're dreading that Monday to Friday grind, something's not right because actually you're just living you're just wasting your life away and just living from holiday to holiday or weekend to weekend, actually you've got to make sure that you're enjoying your work too, and that it's not just a chore because yes. otherwise what's the point in living? Not that I'm advocating for anything else, but um, but yeah, you've got to be happy with what you do.
0: Yeah. And that's a very fair point as well. You know, it's uh, life's too short to be unhappy in one job, let alone to be unhappy in two jobs. Exactly. Right. Um, I'm going to have chosen to end on this one, Tilly, because it's what we do. Um, why do social workers only ever talk about work, even if they're not in work? <laughs> <laughs> I, tell you, you and I have met up. you and I have met up a fair few times outside of work, and we often talk outside of work, you know, before and after the podcast and at other times. Um, would it be fair to say we are guilty of this too?
1: Isn't everyone, though? Ah. Because work ah. is such a big part ah. of anyone's life, whether you're a social worker or not. Um, yeah. I think it's inevitable that you talk about it. I mean, I'd like to say that we've got other things to talk about other than just work, and we do. We we chat about other things too but um I think anything that's involving so much of your time not just in terms of hours but in terms of just emotions and the burden that it has on you not a bad burden but it still does have take a significant toll on your life um you're gonna want to talk about it and I think that's just kind of inevitable but um yeah, I, I hope that we have other things to talk about. And we do, like flotation devices.
0: Yes, yes. But this does happen, though. Like, if I think of work nights out that I've been on and Christmas nights out that I've been on with fellow social workers, we all just spend our entire time talking about work. We spent the full day in work talking about work. We go home, we get dressed, we get ready to go out, and then we spend the whole night talking about work. Is that just me, or are your teams the same?
1: Um they are they are but equally we're all humans as well and we've all got other things going on so um it's not continuously about work and I think that probably depends on the team as well um I know certainly in the teams where I felt almost trauma bonded to my colleagues before yeah. when things have been really really tough and that's when you find that if you meet up outside of work, you're just talking about work just to offload and get that bit of informal supervision. Whereas actually, if you're really happy in your job, I've got many other things to talk about other than than my day job. I mean, we we talk about social work all the time because that's what we love. Um, it's not because we're just moaning about it most of the time.
0: So, yeah. Uh, why why do we do that? Um, I think it's just human nature. I think everybody does that, don't they, too?
1: Yeah, yeah, they do. They do. No matter whether you're a a builder or a teacher or a I don't know, supermarket worker, you still end up talking about work.
0: Talking about work. That is just what we do. Um, So there we go, listeners. Uh, That is uh, our Ask Me Anything edition. We will do another special show, I think, when we celebrate 50 episodes, which will be around the end of September time, I imagine. So thanks to Curtis, uh, Frederick, Jessica, Peter, Mary, and our three anonymous listeners who sent those questions in. Um, As always, guys, you know, uh, check us out. Uh, on uh, mysocialworknews.com if you want to read any articles relating to anything we've done there and every week we will read out your reviews so if you would like to leave a review on the podcast head over to spotify itunes anywhere else you listen to our show leave a review and we will read it out next week until next week it is goodbye from me and it's
1: goodbye from me